Hello, and welcome to Life on Maine, a daily podcast of Life on Maine in Charlestown, New Hampshire, where we discuss living life on the main purpose as designed by God. I am Pastor Tim Golden, and on these podcasts, we focus on growing in relationship with God, maturing in the faith through His Word, stewarding our relationships with one another, as well as learning to make disciples as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each day highlights one of these facets of spiritual character, growth, and stewardship, so be sure to come back each day to grow a strong and healthy walk with the Lord. Now, let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to show us today. Let us turn in our Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 today, which is in the Old Testament. And as you know, we've been spending a lot of time in prayer, and then we took a couple Sundays off from that topic uh, as we focused on the triumphal entry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But now we are heading back into that area of prayer again for just a couple of more weeks. And so again, Second Chronicles chapter 6, starting at verse 36. But first, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time that we have to gather together, albeit uh, across the internet. But Lord, we know that your presence is with us no matter where we are. We know that the presence of God that we can feel here can be felt across the world. So Lord, we ask that you would inhabit this time, that you would speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit, that you would guide and direct us in a mighty, mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I really get into this this morning, I just wanted to take some time to preface this. Because I know that whenever God has something very important to say to us, it actually looks good to see two people sitting here. Thank you, Lance and Dottie, for coming and helping me out this morning. And uh, this is great. And don't worry, we're keeping our six feet. Um, but, and there I go, I lost my train of thought. I got so busy thinking, thinking of you guys. But, um, preface. what's that? Preface. preface. Thank you. See, it pays to have somebody out there to keep your brain on track. So to preface this, um, I noticed that whenever God has something important that he wants to say, he will often repeat himself. He, he will make sure that we understand. We see this throughout scripture. He'll use things like verily, verily, or truly, truly. Um, when he wanted Mary to understand, um, as we celebrated last week, the resurrection, when he rose from the dead and wanted her to really understand who he was, he actually used her name twice. And so God will often confirm things. And as we were um, pulling things together, um, and since we don't have to do a bulletin every week, um, I actually didn't bother calling Dottie, who uh, usually picks our songs and uh, responsive readings. Didn't let her know what it was that I was going to be preaching on this morning. She did not know the topic. She did not know the key verse that we were using. However, God in his divine nature has a way of unifying our hearts. And the songs, I was absolutely amazed at how well they fit with the message. I mean, they, they always fit, but today they seem to really jive together. Even to the point of the final song that we sang, which is, If My People which are called by my name, I'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, 
will forgive their sin and heal their land. We will actually be looking at that actual passage this morning during the message. And even in the song that she picked that we will be ending with couldn't be a more fitting song for what the Lord had laid on my heart for this morning. So Dottie, thank you for being so sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But as we approach these last couple weeks into this topic of prayer, I want us first to just take some time to recap because we have taken a little bit of a hiatus for a couple of weeks. We spent the first three weeks looking at why and how we should pray. And again, if you want the notes for this, uh, simply go to sermons.church and you can find the notes right there. But we spent three weeks looking at why and how we should pray. We looked at the, the premise for prayer as well as the heart attitude that we should come before God with. We looked at people like Moses and Abraham and how they approached the Lord. We took another week to hear from Pastor Lance regarding God's prophecies and provision as we prepare the nets and the barns for the harvest doing our part to get ready. Then we invested two weeks examining what we should pray. We looked at several specific things regarding that, and the thing that amazes me again is in God's divine providence, when we started this whole series, we had no idea where we would be as a nation today, and, and how important prayer was going to be in where we would be at at this time. But today, I want to continue to talk about prayer, but I want to come at this from yet another angle. We're going to move to another aspect of prayer, and this is one aspect that sometimes we actually forget, or we don't give the due attention that it deserves. We get so busy sometimes asking God for things that we leave out this very crucial element in our prayers. So today, we're going to explore this specific element. And we're going to look at our part surrounding this element. And to understand this aspect of prayer, we're going to look at an event in the Old Testament, primarily, as you've already turned, to Second Chronicles chapter 6. And we actually continue into chapter 7. Don't worry, we're not going to read all of those chapters. But here's the story. Okay, to kind of give you a synopsis coming into where we are going to be in verse 36. God has called Solomon to build a temple for worship. His father, you might know him, he was King David, had gathered many of the supplies for it, but Solomon was the one that was to build it because God said it needed to be someone that was not a king of war, which David was. The Israelites have a huge celebration and actually take time to dedicate this temple. And chapter 6 is almost entirely a record of Solomon's dedication prayer of that temple. And in it, amongst other things, he is asking God to bless the people of Israel. And during his prayer, quite a few times, he uses a word. The word is when. You look at verse 22, he says, when a man wrongs his neighbor. In verse 24, when your people have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they have turned back to you. In verse 26, he says, 
when there's no rain because your people have sinned and when they turn from their sins. The thing about when is it lets you know it's going to happen. It's in the works. There's no way to avoid it. It is not a matter of if, but, when, right? And Solomon sums up his prayer in verses 36 to 40, and I'm reading from the NIV this morning. And notice he starts with the word, when. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy, who takes them captive to a land far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity, where they were taken, notice where the seeking happens, right? happens in the land of captivity. Pray toward the land you gave their ancestor, toward the city you have chosen, and toward the temple I have built for your name. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas, and uphold their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. So what we see Solomon starting off with here in verse 36 is this. Solomon begins to talk about their sin. He talks about their issues. He acknowledges that nobody can completely avoid sin. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean that that gives us a license to sin, but it's a reality that as long as we are in this fleshly body, we will always have a tendency to sin. And Solomon talked about that. And he also knew that when there was sin, there would be consequences as a result. And so what he talked about after that was he talked of confession, and he talked of repentance. In verses 37 and 38, he tells us how they want to act when they realize their sins. He says this, he actually words it this way, they have a change of heart, not just a change of attitude, not just a change of action, but an actual change in the very heart of who they are. They become different people in a sense. He then asks God in verse 40 to hear their pleas to forgive and to restore. And then chapter 7 begins with fire falling down from heaven. In verses 1 through 3, we read this. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So do you think God was pleased? He was. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. Can you imagine it being so incredible that God would come and fill our churches to the point that we couldn't even get in? That would be awesome. When all the Israelites saw the fire come down in the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on, on the ground with their faces. It says here, knelt on the pavement. Don't know if they necessarily had pavement then. Um, but whatever was on the ground there, 
with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. God's glorious presence actually fills the temple that was built. The people see what God does, and they fall down, and they worship him, and they praise him. Translation, three words, revival broke out. There's a sense of uh, fresh anticipation of what God was doing. There was a refreshing of themselves, and God began to affect the community as a whole. Because it said it wasn't just that his glory filled the temple, it said they could see his glory even outside the temple. And it caused people, even that weren't in the temple, to want to fall to their knees and praise him. I want that kind of revival, where we see that kind of outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then everybody, on the eighth day, Solomon had to tell them to go home. Okay? They wanted to stick around. But everybody then left full of joy because of the blessings of God. And then one night after the dedication celebration, the Lord spoke to Solomon. And if you look with me at verse number 12, he says this. The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And then God tells Solomon that he has heard his prayer. Sin had been, in a sense, forgiven in that moment. Everything that Solomon prayed in chapter 6, God heard. Every, not, not a single word, not a single syllable was, was there any deafness to. The Lord heard all. In fact, in chapter 7, we end up seeing his direct response to the words that he actually prayed in verse 6. So God tells Solomon he heard his prayer. But understand this, Solomon's prayer for God's blessing had been conditional. We need to understand that sin has a price. And Solomon understood that. It wasn't that he was trying to lock God into something. He understood enough of the character of God to know that where unrighteousness is, there will be consequences. Just as where righteousness prevails, there are good consequences. There's blessing that flows. But if we are not in alignment with God, we will reap something other than the blessings. But understanding that that discipline that comes is brought so that we in turn can get our life straightened back out so we can receive the blessings of the Lord. So even in the chastisement, there can be joy. Look at Chronicles, second, uh, second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13. And this is the Lord's response. When, and again, remember, when lets us know it's going to happen. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, and then he goes on to mention about how that's in response to sin. But notice that God doesn't say if, he says when. He didn't say if I shut up the heavens. He promises if we act in this specific way, this is what's going to take place. I praise God that I had parents that did that very thing too. They made it very clear. We knew when we did wrong what the consequence was going to be. So when the consequence came, we had nobody to blame but who? Ourselves. God never wants his people 
to forget who he is. And he never wants them to be pulled away. And he will do whatever's necessary to pull us back, even if it means bringing some sort of discipline into our lives. And as Pastor Harold and I talked about on Heartline this past week, God really does understand that phrase our parents used to use on us, that this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And he does not like to punish. He does not like to discipline, but he understands it's a necessity at times. When discipline comes, God told Solomon how to make themselves right again. And we actually sang about it this morning. Again, that last song, If My People. And it's right here in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now this is what they coin as being a conditional statement. It's an if-then thing. Versus before, it was an if-when. Now it's an if-then. If you do this, then I will do that. Now I remember when I was in high school, I actually took a computer class. Now for those youngers that are out there, these were in the days when schools were actually just starting to get computers. They had monochrome screens. There was no graphic detail. Everything was in MS-DOS. And if you know what MS-DOS means, you're old. Okay, um, like myself. But we, in this computer class, we actually took a course called, um, we, we learned a computer language called BASIC. In fact, I think it was called BASIC. Um, it's been a while. Uh, but one of the key things in the programming language of that were these if-then statements. And if you wanted the program to operate properly, you would tell it on one line, if this, then skip to line such and such, and do this function. But if this, then jump to this line, right? Whatever was done here determined what happened from that point on. And it's the same way when it comes to God. When he says if, followed by a then, know that if the if part happens, the then part is going to take place. You will be moved to that line of the program, if you will. In verse 14, he said, If you turn from your sins and turn back to me, I will then forgive, heal, and restore. But what I see implied in this passage is another if-then statement. And it goes like this. If we do not repent, God won't answer. If we don't repent, God will not be able to hear our prayers and forgive our sins and heal our land. So ultimately, who does the responsibility fall on first and foremost? It falls on us. We have been in a time of concentrated prayer, or at least I trust you've been. And as you know, for the last couple months, we've been praying individually, we've been praying corporately as a body. We've been praying that God would make us who he wants us to be. We've been praying that he would actually help us do what it is that he wants us to do. But I don't think that we will see the great answers to our prayers 
without first repentance. We can pray the most elegant prayers, but if we are walking away from God, we will not see the answers. We can be praying for hours, but if we refuse to turn from our sin in our lives, we will never experience the healing and restoration that God desires to bring. We can even go through all the right motions. We can even look like we're doing all of the right things, but without genuine repentance in the heart, we could miss out on a great revival. For us to truly be the people and the church that God has put us here to be as life on Maine, as well as the church at large that God has placed within your community, if we're to truly be his people that he's put us here to be, we've got to make sure that we are turned to him, that his eyes are the ones that we are focused on and nothing else. So, what is the forgotten element? It's repentance. We so many times come before God with our, with our wish list, with our checklist of, of all the things that we desire of him, but so many times we do not take time first to ask God to check us and to make sure that there's nothing in our lives that are standing in the way of him actually hearing our prayers. So what exactly is repentance? Four things I want to make you aware of. And these are not rocket science, but you know what I find? Most of the scripture isn't rocket science. The scripture is actually very simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> it's very simple that even a child can understand it, but it takes a lifetime for us to begin to get it. And I access begin <laughs> to get it. But the, what is repentance first? It requires us to acknowledge that we have acted against God's actions, his desires, and his plans. Verse 36 shows us this, right? In chapter 6. It's understanding that we have been in opposition to what it is that God desires. Now, this might not be that we are actively, you know, we all know the people that are out there that are, you can tell they're waging war against God. But the truth is, is that we're either for him, he says, or we are against him. There really is no middle ground, right? There's, there's a, uh, you could call it, there's a high road and there's a low road, but there is no middle road. There's no straddling the fence. If you try to walk a fence, and I know I tried once when I was a kid, didn't end well, okay? <laughs> You can try walking a fence, but I will guarantee you sooner or later you are going to fall to one side or the other. And can I say that spiritually speaking it is seldom that we fall to the side of righteousness. Be on one side or the other. You've got to decide if you're for God or if you're against him. There's either obedience or there's disobedience. There's no halfway point. Acknowledge that you've sinned and that you've done wrong in the sight of God. Secondly, it requires us to actually regret our actions against God. It's one thing to know that we have actually done wrong. It's another thing to actually regret it and, and to wish that we hadn't done it. Let me ask you some questions this morning, and I hope that you will really take them to heart. How do you feel about your sin? 
And again, sin is anything that is disobedience to God. It's not just sins of commission, it can be sins of omission. How do you feel about your sin? Do you make excuses for it? Do you make allowances for it? Or do you maybe tend to simply default to his grace? Well, I know God will forgive me for it. It's really not that big a deal. Or, on the other hand, does the sin hurt you? Does it cause you to kind of get sick to your stomach that you did it? Or is it so much a part of your life that you do not even think about it anymore? You've become almost numb to what it's doing to God's heart. Are you aware of your sin, but you'd rather keep it than quit it? See, those are hard questions we have to ask ourselves, and our answers to those questions will let us know whether or not we are truly regretful of the actions we've taken against God rather than just acknowledging them. The third thing we have to do is once we acknowledge it and actually have some regret over it, we must then confess those actions and hard attitudes. Verse 37 tells us this. It's not because God does not already know what we have done. He does. He knows everything. You're not sharing anything. When you go to God and you confess your sin, God's not going to cover his mouth and say, Oh dear, I didn't know. He's fully aware of what has taken place. The truth of the matter is, we need to verbalize our acknowledgement and remorse to show ourselves that we are in our hearts, even if our actions haven't shown it, that at least in our hearts we're in alignment with God. It's showing and testifying to the fact that, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go onward with you no matter what it might cost me in the long run. We need to confess. And then fourthly, we must actually turn from sin and turn to God. It requires action on our parts. It's not just enough to engage the mind to acknowledge it. It's not just enough to even engage the heart to regret it. It's not even enough just to engage the mouth to confess it. We've actually got to engage the hands and the feet to repent of it. We've actually got to put into motion things in our lives to show this depth of regret that we have, to be willing to no longer go the direction of the sin, but now go in the direction that God is leading us into. If we want God to hear our prayers, we have to repent first. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is the way that it goes. It's the whole if-then scenario. We have got to turn away from sin that draws us away from God. And we've got to truly regret our actions against God. But the great thing is, is that when we do that, he promises that he will hear. He promises that he will forgive. And he promises that he will heal, that he will restore. So there's two heart attitudes that we've got to possess, though, for true repentance to really take place within us. And he mentions these there in chapter 7, verse 14. True repentance first requires humility. It tells us in verse 14 that we are to humble ourselves. And what that means is we cannot come to God in some sort of proud, arrogant, or even flippant way. 
we have to come to God in an act of submission. It's very much the same as you would come into the court of a king as one of his subjects. Or maybe in a way that we can identify a little bit better, coming as a defendant into a court of law. Understanding that we have nothing to really bring to the table other than, the mercy, than hope, hoping the mercy of God will come our direction. The joy is we know that God's mercy will prevail. He says it will if we will truly repent. Now you see, we know who he is. He is the Holy One. He is the righteous one. He is the righteous judge. But the truth is, when you come humbly, you also identify who you are. And then we willingly submit to his ways and to his holiness. So true repentance requires humility. The second thing it requires is a passion for his presence. You see, because if what we have is nothing more than this um, the sense of humility uh, of coming before a king or coming before a judge, then our, our spirituality will be one of duty. It will be one of, exp of what is expected of us. It will never be driven by our love for him. So we first have got to come humbly, but we've got to pair that together with a passion for his presence. It's understanding that we're coming before a holy king that if he wanted to, he could toast us, but the reality is he's a loving God and he's not going to do that. In fact, he, knowing his heart is that he wants us to draw in close. So we come humbly and then allow him to lift us up, right? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, scripture says. So we've got to get a passion for Jesus. In verse 14 we see we are to seek God's face and pray. It is putting yourself in his presence. It's not hiding anything. It's being transparent with him. There's nothing that you will allow to get between you and God. It, it, it's when everything else pales in comparison. You will sell the farm just to be in his presence. And then, once you have that humility, and once you have that passion for his presence, then, and only then, you come with a sense of repentance. You confess your sin, you turn away from your sin, and you will fill your life with those things that are godly, rather than those things that are carnal, that are fleshly. You tell God how much it hurts going in the opposite direction of him. We begin to become like um, David was when he used when he um, coined that beautiful passage that we've sung so many songs about. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know, uh, know, test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and cleanse me of that. And why did he say that? Because he didn't want to be separated from the presence of God. He said, "Do not take your Holy Spirit from me." My greatest fear is to not have the presence of God. Is that your greatest fear? Will you give up your sin in exchange for the face of God? <laughs> to me, it's a no-brainer, right? Let's say I can keep this sin that's going to totally destroy me, or I can seek the face of God where there's blessing, where there's hope, where there's joy, where there's mercy, where there's peace. Yeah, I think I'll take this. <laughs> We have been praying for months now. We've been asking God to reveal things to us. 
We've been asking him for direction, but right now I believe so strongly that what he wants most is our full attention. He wants us to begin to look inside. Does he want us praying for the lost? Absolutely. Does he want us um, standing in the gap for, for our family members that don't know him? Does he want us to see us actively out doing the things that will advance his kingdom? Absolutely. But not at the expense of a relationship with him. That relationship is first and foremost in the sight of God. Have the relationship first. Everything else will follow as a result. He wants us to look deep into our hearts. My question is, what do you see in your life that is in direct opposition to God? Ask God to begin to show you anything that might keep you from hearing, might keep him from hearing your prayers. In fact, I would almost dare say, you probably don't have to do much praying, because probably in the midst of this whole discussion, God's already been revealing some things to you that need to be checked, that need to be brought to the cross and left there. Get them right. Get that hunger for Jesus and then confess and repent of those things. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. Make a decision even today, and I know that this is hard, especially when we are doing it virtually like this. But I'm going to actually challenge you today that you do not leave the room that you're sitting in or wherever it is that you are tuning into this um, broadcast. Don't leave where you are. Don't leave this moment that we are sharing together until everything in your life, until you know that everything in your life is being handled his way. Until you know that everything has been brought brought to the cross and left there. Even after the last song is sung today, and even after the last prayer is prayed, after we've signed off even of this internet stream, I'm going to challenge you to stay in his presence and don't leave until you know that you're right with God. You owe it to him. You owe it to you. And remember, from this day forward, always include a time of repentance as you, be, as you begin to pray. It should be the first thing that we begin to pray is, God, I understand who you are, and I also know who I am, and I have no right to be here other than the fact you give me a right, so God cleanse me. That should be the way we start our prayers every time. So if that way, nothing will hinder our prayers going forward. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you right now, and we ask that you would have your way in us, that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Our desire is to always experience the presence of your Holy Spirit, to have you lead everywhere we go. We we do not want to experience any time where you are not with us. And we we know that you are always with us, God. There's times when you're not. It's not because you moved. It's because we moved. And so, Lord, we just state that we want to get ourselves back in alignment with your ways, with your purpose. We, we want to make sure that the river of life that flows from the throne of God is not blocked by any obstruction within us, but is able to flow freely in us and that's able to flow freely through us to others. 
But God, we know that sin will always be a blockage. Help us to keep a short account of those sins. Help us to never stray far from the cross. Help us to seek you in all things and to always be sure to give you glory and to give you honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you for tuning into today's broadcast. We pray that it was beneficial for you. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for another episode of Life on Main. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website at lifeonmain.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lifeonmain where you can learn about upcoming events and find links to videos of these broadcasts and sermons. You can also view our sermons on our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash lifeonmain with each of those words capitalized. Thanks for listening to Life on Main and may God bless you.